Hello and welcome to this week's podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the business week ended 7th July 2023. This is Ian Haydock. In this episode, new AstraZeneca ADC lung cancer data seen as underwhelming, William Powell's aspirations at Pfizer, Scholar Rock's hopes for SMA asset, Biomarin's Roctavian launch, and Indian lighthouses deliver gains. AstraZeneca and Daiichi Sankyo's goal of transforming non-small cell lung cancer treatment with their antibody drug conjugate, Datapotamab Deruxtecan, or DATO-DXD, is looking harder to achieve after a first phase 3 readout suggested results had fallen short of a best-case scenario in safety and efficacy. Andrew McConaughey writes the company's Tropion Lung 01 Phase 3 trial had been one of the year's most eagerly awaited readouts and pits the TROP2 targeted ADC against docetaxel, the current standard of care chemotherapy, in patients with locally advanced or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer who have been treated with at least one prior therapy. The study aims to pave the way for DATO-DXD monotherapy to replace chemotherapy as second-line standard of care, but appears to have failed to produce a strong case for this switch, at least at this interim stage. While the interim results show a statistically significant improvement in progression-free survival compared to docetaxel, the market was spooked by the language used by the company when announcing the data. Analysts noted AstraZeneca's 3rd July press release did not feature words such as strong and overwhelming in regard to the as-yet-undisclosed PFS results, suggesting the results fall short of a 2-3 to month improvement, which would be probably necessary to shift clinical practice, yet alone the more than 3 month improvement needed to properly disrupt the market in this setting. Data for the study's other primary endpoint, overall survival, are not mature, although an early trend in favour of the drug is apparent, the company said. TROP2 is expressed across all lung cancer subtypes, including in around 64% of patients with adenocarcinoma and 75% of squamous cell carcinoma patients, although the company has opted for an all-comers trial design. Tropion Lung01 enrolled patients with and without actionable genomic alterations, such as EGFR and ALK. Patients with actionable genomic alterations were previously treated with platinum-based chemotherapy and an approved targeted therapy. Patients without actionable genomic alterations were previously treated concurrently or sequentially with platinum-based chemotherapy and a PD-1 or PD-L1 inhibitor. AstraZeneca is already planning to retrospectively analyse the new results by TROP2 expression, which could yield more compelling results albeit in a smaller population than the companies had hoped for. Meanwhile, the drug's safety profile remains important in its bid to displace chemotherapy. The companies said no new safety signals had been identified, but interstitial lung disease, an adverse event commonly seen in ADCs, is an area of concern. While ILD levels were generally consistent with prior clinical trials, with most being low-grade, AstraZeneca said that some grade 5 events, i.e. deaths, had been observed in the study. Pfizer Chief Development Officer William Powell joined the Big Pharma just over one year ago to oversee the company's clinical drug development, a change following his lengthy career in early research, initially in academia and more recently at Roche. 
Pell, in an interview with Jessica Merrill at the company's new New York City headquarters in June, talked about the transition to Pfizer, the company's late-stage pipeline, and one of his top priorities, reducing clinical drug development cycle times. Powell joined Pfizer in March 2022 after an 8-year career at Roche, where he most recently was head of Roche Pharma Research and Early Development. He wasn't looking to leave Roche, but was intrigued by the opportunity to work at Pfizer after being approached by CEO Albert Borla. He nearly talked himself out of the job when he first met Borla, he joked, because of his long career in driving drug programs from discovery through proof of concept. I actually said to him, if you want a late-stage person, I'm not your person, Powell said. I was perfectly honest with him. I thought that would be a deal killer. It turned out, however, that may have been what helped him clinch the job. My understanding is that he appreciated someone that understood the development process but would come with a fresh pair of eyes to be able to look at things and say, why do we do it this way? Are there different ways to do it, he said. As for what attracted power to Pfizer, he said he was lured in part by the company's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic and its success bringing Comirnaty and Paxlovid to market so quickly. Pfizer has been focused on leveraging its experience during the pandemic to accelerate development times across the board. Power joined Pfizer at a transitional time for the big pharma, which is continuing to address the needs of the changing COVID-19 environment, even as the financial windfall from the peak pandemic years winds down. One of Powell's primary remits is continuing the work of his predecessor, Rod McKenzie, to reduce clinical development timelines at Pfizer. In 2016, the development cycle from first-in-human trials to launch at Pfizer was more than nine years, one of the longest among industry peers, but a multi-year initiative to improve that metric has reduced the typical development cycle at Pfizer to six years, ranking the company in the top quartile of its peers. Moving forward, building on top of that, we want to be even more aspirational, Powell said. The company has set a goal to reduce clinical development cycle times by another 50%, he noted. Scholarock says it hopes to bring its myostatin activation inhibitor pitigromab to market as an additive muscular function therapy for spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, in 2025, with plans to commercialise the drug itself in the US and Europe. Not an easy feat for a small biotech in a big pharma-dominated indication, but executives hope their drug will address a gap in treatment. Scholarock also has SRK181 in Phase 1, testing a theory that it can address checkpoint inhibitor resistance in multiple cancer types. And one year after pulling back on its discovery research efforts to conserve cash, the US company is presenting an optimistic front about its earlier stage programs. In an interview with Scripps' Joseph Haas, Scholarock executives said existing SMA therapies, such as Biogen's Spinraza, Roche's Evrisdi, and Novartis's gene therapy Zolgensma, each of which upregulates the survival motor neuron enzyme, have offered significant therapeutic benefits for patients. But each of those products targets the neurological aspects of the rare neuromuscular disease, with a need remaining for a therapy that addresses SMA's impact on muscle function. SMA has different phenotypes, with type 1 being the most severe, and presenting in babies aged up to 6 months, most of whom die before their second birthday. Children with type 2 develop symptoms from 7 to 18 months, and those with type 3 do so after 18 months. Scholarock CEO Jay Backstrom said the phase 3 Sapphire trial of apitegromab, 
which targets the latent form of myostatin through the TDF-beta-1 receptor, is on track for completion of enrollment this year. Data from the 156 patient study, enrollees have either type 2 or type 3 SMA, are expected in 2024 and the company hopes to bring the drug to market in 2025. New 36-month data released on 30th June showed substantial and sustained gains in motor function and the company believes the update validates ScholarRock's approach to inhibiting the pro and latent forms of myostatin. Other companies previously looked into myostatin inhibition, the executive said, but ScholarRock's approach is to target inhibition of the protein through the latent form of the TDF-beta-1 superfamily. The company sees this approach as potentially useful in other diseases, but ScholarRock is focused intently on SMA for now, seeing it as priority 1, 2 and 3, executives said. Biomarin has gained US approval for Roctavian, the first ever haemophilia A gene therapy, and the company is confident it can prove doubters wrong about how popular the one-time treatment will be with payers and patients. However, the high $2.9 million price tag on Roctavian, a money-back guarantee for payers, and a lack of clarity about efficacy claims on its US drug label could prove to be challenges, Andrew McConaughey writes. The US FDA approved the treatment on 29th June for patients with severe haemophilia A nearly three years after it first rejected the therapy because of doubts about how long it could cut annualised bleeding rates in patients. The company answered those questions with an additional two years of follow-up safety and efficacy data on all participants from its gene R81 phase 3 trial. However, the FDA used an imputation analysis to isolate the impact of the gene therapy from prophylactic therapy used by patients on the study, such as factor replacement therapy or Roche's Hemlibra, which limits the claims made on Roctavian's label. Consequently, the approved label states that Roctavian achieved a 52% reduction in mean ABR compared with those receiving routine factor 8 prophylaxis, and that's a more modest result than the company would have liked, and could make it harder for Biomarin to persuade doctors and patients the treatment is worthwhile. The company's commercial head, Jeff Ager, was keen to point out on a call with analysts that the label also reported median ABR rather than mean ABR, which was not affected by the analysis. This shows a more than 90% reduction in the bleeding rate, which Biomarin will clearly try to push ahead of the more modest mean ABR result. Biomarin estimates that around 6,500 adults suffer from severe haemophilia A in the US, However, as Roctavian uses adeno-associated virus serotype 5 to deliver a functional gene to produce factor 8, only patients who test negative for AAV5-targeted antibody are eligible to receive the therapy. The company consequently expects around 2,500 patients will be eligible to receive Roctavian in the US. Roctavian's US approval follows on from that for Hemgenics, CSL and Unicure's Haemophilia B gene therapy which, at $3.5 million per patient, has taken the crown as the world's most expensive drug. Roctavian's sales are expected to build slowly, and a general lack of investor enthusiasm saw the company's share price trend down a few percentage points the day after approval. Finally, pharma may have traditionally lagged some other sectors when it comes to adoption of digital technologies more widely, but manufacturing is one area where industry appears to be making important strides 
leveraging smart technologies and data-driven processes to deliver meaningful gains. A recent conference in India heard how two frontline Indian companies, Dr. Reddy's Laboratories and CIPLA, transformed their factories with the adoption of Fourth Industrial Revolution, or 4IR, technologies bringing about a step change in performance across cost, quality and delivery metrics. Both companies have sites accredited over the recent past as digital lighthouses by the World Economic Forum and join other peers that are part of a list of 19 pharma and medical devices firms which boast such facilities globally. Lighthouses essentially apply 4IR technologies at scale to drive financial, operational and sustainability improvements by transforming factories, value chains and business models. Addressing the Global Pharmaceutical Quality Summit 2023, organised by the Indian Pharmaceutical Alliance in Mumbai, Vivek Arora, whose partner McKinsey & Co, said that digital analytics and automation has the potential to deliver breakthrough impacts in life sciences operations. These technologies could translate into as much as a 25-40% to 40 increase in overall asset productivity, a 30-50% to 50 jump in labour productivity, while in areas like quality excellence improvements, it could deliver a 30-50% to 50 reduction in deviations and a 200% plus increase in product robustness, data presented by the executive indicated. Overall, the cumulative impact has been anywhere between 3-5% to 5 point improvements in profitability in the business being generated from the lighthouse sites, Aurora said. Outside of the quantitative impact, it also helps free up the time of operational leaders from non-value-added activities to spend quality time on the shop floor with their teams helping coaching, problem-solving and driving continuous improvement, the executive added. Aurora highlighted some of the core themes that can unlock value within the adoption of a digital production system operating model. These include reimagining important shop floor processes using automation, digital guides, artificial intelligence and augmented reality, no-touch planning of all production and quality activities using digital twins, and using data and analytics to make products more robust, and reducing deviations, improving yield and critical quality parameters. Senior executives from Dr. Reddy's and Cipla then went on to share more granular details on the large-scale digitalization efforts that led to the coveted lighthouse status for their sites amid growing challenges in industry alongside evolving compliance and quality expectations. The dwindling operating margins in the US, the single largest market, is a wake-up call for the entire industry to look for novel ways to improve its productivity, even as it stays the course on maintaining compliance, said Madhu Sundar, MS, who's Global Manufacturing Head, FTO, at Dr. Reddy's Labs. Check out the article in full for details of all the topics discussed at the conference. That's all for this time. Many thanks for listening. A link to an article with links to all these stories in full is in the description below. And this content is just a fraction of that published by Scripps Global Team last week. Log in to access or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.